As you may remember, we've started a new series called Straight Talk. And the idea behind Straight Talk is we're going to go to the scriptures and just kind of let the Bible talk to us in pretty straightforward terms about uh, areas of our lives that sometimes kind of seem off limits. We don't really like advice on things like parenting and finances and marriage. But the scripture has a lot to say about some of those very personal issues. And so straight talk is um, a few weeks of letting the scriptures speak to us in a very straightforward way. This morning, I want us to continue that series, and we're going uh, to get into some straight talk about marriage. If you have your copy of Scripture with you, I invite you to Genesis chapter 2. If you like to follow along in the uh, Bible app, it is set up for you there. You can go to the Bible app in the menu, open events, and under events, you'll see our church, and then you'll be able to follow along if you prefer to do it that way. I do, uh, I do have a very full outline this morning. So to make sure that we stay as close as possible within my 28 minutes, you're gonna have to buckle up and we're gonna have to drive really fast, okay? All right, here we go. Genesis chapter two, let's begin at verse 18. Beginning at 18. God has created everything. He created the light. He said, you know what, that's good. He created, he created the plants. He said, that's good. He created the critters. He said, that's good. He created everything each time. He said, that's good. And then he created man. And he said, now that's very good. It, it changed slightly. The, very, the, the first thing that God said was not good was that man was alone. And this is that story. Genesis chapter 2, beginning at verse 18, Then the Lord said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now notice that. The helper was going to be fit for the man. He was going to create something new that did not yet exist, that... Would, would fit the man, and, and together these two could share life. Verse 19, now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to the beast of the field. You ever wonder why that, that detail gets thrown into the story right then? He was just saying that man was alone. There wasn't a helper for him. And now he brings all the animals in front of the man so the man can name them. I think the reason that of that timing is actually pretty simple when we see how God speaks to his people and reveals himself. God knows stuff before we do. And then, oftentimes, God leads us through an experience in life so that we can learn what he already knew. 
You see, God knew that it was not good for this man to be alone. Now he needed man to catch on to that truth. And so he brings all the critters. Here comes the zebras. Look, there's more than one. Here come, here come the, uh, the donkeys. Look, there's more than one. All of the animals came in front of man. And he kind of checked them off one at a time. Every living creature is good, but not a good fit for me. I'm still alone. I think that was the whole purpose of bringing the animals to Adam. So he could check them off and say, none of those are a good life fit for me. And so at the end of verse 20, he says, but for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused his deep sleep to fall on the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the, that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. The man said, this at last is bone of my bones. You see, none of the critters were a good match. Now this one is like me. This one is made the same way I'm made. We, it's bone of my bone, uh, flesh of my flesh. The last part of 23, so she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. In English, we kind of miss some of that. The word for man in Hebrew is, is ish. The word for woman is isha. It's like, let's take man and add something to him. It's a kind of a play on words. I'm going to call her man plus. It, Ish, ah, whoa, man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. There was that intimacy. He had finally found the one good fit. God created man. And then he created woman to share life together. But there's an important part that we often overlook and our culture really wants to ignore. And that is that when God made man and when he made woman, he made them so that they would fit, yes, so that they were helpmates, yes, but he intentionally made them differently. Genesis 1 and 27, so God created man in his own image and in the image of God created him. And then why would you add this last phrase? Male and female, he created them. The point of scripture is that we are male and female. We are different. And, and that's significant because what happened was those differences actually brought intimacy. They were a good fit. They complemented one another. And then the fall happened. The fall took place. Sin messed everything up. 
And now those differences, instead of bringing intimacy and, and complementing one another, now the differences between man and woman were used to divide, to separate. We don't understand one another. We don't think the same way. We don't feel the same way. Add to the results of the fall, add to that the results of, of this postmodern culture in which we live. And those differences cause more problems. So our culture says, since differences cause problems, let's pretend that there are no differences. You know, there was a time when boys were blue and girls were pink. Now, everyone's supposed to be some shade of purple. We have decided that femininity is weak and masculinity is toxic. So let's get rid of both of them and let's just kind of blend and let's try to be more of the same. And we have failed to recognize the beauty of God's creation. Male and female, he created them. We're supposed to be different. And those differences could and should add to our intimacy. We could complement one another, and thereby making each other stronger. That is the idea of marriage. It's interesting that after the story of, of Adam, we hear Adam speak, at last there's bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, then we hear Moses speak, assuming Moses was the one who wrote Genesis, which I believe is to be the case. The, the author of the book speaks in verse 24, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife. Because God created them differently, he created them beautifully differently, intentionally differently. It is for that reason that now we get married. And so let's look at marriage, allowing scripture to guide us in our thinking. Let's, let's have a little bit of straight talk about marriage. First, just as quickly as I can, I want to refresh your memory on the stages of marriage. Marriage happens in stages. It's just like growing up. We, as we grow up, we go through stages. Same thing is true about marriage. First, there is young love. Young love might generally be the first couple of years. In young love, we're excited, we're thrilled, we're learning new things all the time, we're building a life, everything is fun, everything's exciting. This is awesome! She said yes, and she's stuck now, and I've got her, and I love it. This is young love. Years three through ten, we move into realistic love. Things are not new now. We're adjusting. We're settling in. It's, it's, not, it's, it, it's not that it's, it's all so exciting and thrilling by the newness of it. We're realizing, oh, we're all grown up now. And we've got to build this life together. And we've got to figure out how to make things work. We gotta pay these bills. We've gotta have a plan for the future. And realism starts to set, set in and, and, and there are some challenges here in realistic love. 
Eventually, as we work through those first 10 years or so, we settle into what might be called comfortable love. Comfortable love is we've got most of it figured out. We know how things work. We know how we work. We have discovered our roles. We're comfortable with our roles. And we've kind of settled into living one life as two people. We're sharing in this life. We actually are understanding how we are becoming one. It is a comfortable love. One woman described it and she said it's like oatmeal. Not exactly exciting, but comfortable, warm, and satisfying. Now I know those of you who are in the young love stage, you can't imagine even wanting comfortable love. It sounds so boring. I understand. But I promise you, when you work through realistic love and you get into comfortable love, you find that it is even more meaningful than young love was. Comfortable love is when we settle into a life that we share. And then there is, starting around year 26-ish, renewing love. We've entered into a new stage of life because of our age. If we had kids, our kids are in a different stage of life. Things are changing in how we view the world. And so we get to start renewing some things. We start saying, oh, we actually have time to go to a movie now. How about we start dating again? Things have changed at the job, in the family. We have time. And so we start, we start rebuilding now and redefining who we are together on our own. And then around year 36 and beyond, there is a transcendent love where we have made it through, and now we, we just think like one. We're together forever. The stages of marriage are important for us to understand, specifically for this reason. Researchers at Denver University looked at long-term marriages, and they discovered a trend. Most marriages decrease in satisfaction those first 10 years. That realistic love. You, you go from a young love into realistic and most marriages decrease in satisfaction for the first 10 years. But then most marriages that last rebound and eventually far surpass the satisfaction of young love. The problem is Many marriages end in that first 10-year realistic love where the satisfaction is declining. What I want to do this morning is share with you some, some biblical principles that help get through that realistic love, that help define a comfortable love, help ensure that renewing love, 
and help us to to settle into and experience transcendent love. There are biblical principles that help us through the stages. And I want to share some of those with you this morning. In the time we have remaining, I want to give you some guidance for guys and some wisdom for women. All right? First, guidance for guys. Number one, guys, assign top priority to your relationship. Assign top priority to your relationship. Ephesians chapter 5 and 25 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. How much did Jesus love the church? Love the church so much he gave his all, literally. He gave himself up for her. And then Paul comes around and he says, Guys, love your wives with that kind of love. Make her your top priority. Once, what happens is, is well described in, in a statement by Gary Smalley. Gary Smalley's a, a Christian um, author, counselor, specifically in relationships. He tells about going shopping for a blouse with his wife. He says, I wasn't shopping for a blouse. I was hunting for a blouse. I wanted to track it, shoot it, bag it, throw it in the back of the truck and go home. He, he says, guys, we are hunters. We are conquest oriented. Once we get our woman, we too often think our job is done. I got her. Love your wife like Christ loved the church. And that's an ongoing life kind of love. You say, well, wait a minute. How, can, how, how are you saying make her number one? Isn't God number one? No. Your wife is number one in your priority list. How is God not number one? Because God is not limited to a spot in your list. He is above the list. He is throughout the list. He is the priority in every one of the spots on the list. He's in charge of every one of them. Don't relegate him to one spot. Check him off and say, okay, I did my God duty. Now I can go to my wife. No. God fills every, every part of your priority list. And at the top of that priority list, guys, is your wife. She's more important than your job. I know you think your job is for her, but she's more important than your job. If the job has to change for some reason for her, you've got to take that into consideration. You've got to think about her instead of job all the time. She's more important than your hobbies. You make her number one. Number two, guidance for guys. Number two, dare to show your affection. It's kind, of, it's kind of not, it doesn't always come naturally for us to show the affection that we feel. And because it doesn't come naturally, we've got to do it intentionally. You ever heard guys try to communicate their friendship to other guys? 
You ever listen to that conversation? Guys trying to express that they care about another guy? Hey, ugly, how you doing? Good, fat boy, how about you? You know, that doesn't work too well with the ladies. So it's a challenge for us. We've got to, we've got to be intentional to find a way to show our affection. Women not only like to be loved, they like to be told that they are loved. Guys, Proverbs 16 and 24, gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Yes, she knows you love her. It's not about what she knows. She wants to hear it. And she needs to hear it often. Don't just say it, but find a way to show it. Song of Solomon, and it's okay, we're only going to look at a PG version of Song of Solomon. <laughs> Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Tell her about your affection and show her your affection. Don't wait for it to come naturally because for many of us guys, it doesn't. We've got to choose it. Guys, assign top priority to your relationship. Dare to show your affection and then listen to understand. Listen to understand. James 1 and 19 says, Know this, my beloved brothers, guys, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. There's something about listening to understand her that sends to her a message that she matters in your book, that she is your top priority. Just listening sends that message of love. And notice that it's listen to understand. Guys, why do we usually listen? So we know what to say back. So we know how to advise, how to fix. We are fixers. She's rattling on and on. I'm going to pick out the important words that will trigger in my mind how to fix it so she can stop rattling. Not my wife. <laughs> Listen to understand. Listen just to hear her. It's, it's a lesson I keep having to learn over and over. Guys, I know this doesn't make sense, but they don't want a solution. We're different. Men and women are different. We're blue and pink. We're different. Doesn't mean we're wrong. It just means we're different. And because we're different, guys, we got to catch on that just listening is what often is the most valuable thing we can do. 
Proverbs 18 and 13 says, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. You talk before you listen, it's your folly. Folly means foolish and I pity the fool. It gives one, if one gives an answer before he hears, he's being foolish. Don't try to solve her problems unless she asks you to. Otherwise, just listen, validate her, let her know that you understand what she's saying. That is guidance for guys. Now, my favorite part, wisdom for women. First, ladies, do things recreationally with your husband. Do things recreationally with him. Relationship experts have discovered that women and men define intimacy differently. We're blue and pink. I know the world wants us to be purple, but we're not. We're blue and pink. We're different. Guys define intimacy differently than women do, generally speaking. Women define intimacy in talking together, where men define intimacy in doing activities together. Let the man be different than you. He's not, he's not wrong. He's just different. He wants to play a game. He wants to go on a hike. He wants to whatever. Those things are how we experience intimacy. That says that you are my friend, that you're sharing my life. That says you're my best friend, that you would spend time with me. And that's how we grow closer together. We hang out. We share interests. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 9 is a familiar verse. You've heard it often. Two are better than one because they have good reward for their toil. You say, well, what does that have to do with this? Well, it's this. You're familiar with verse 9, but we rarely take time to build up to verse 9. If you go back into Ecclesiastes 4 and you look at 1 through 8, what's happening is he says how sad it is, how pointless it is for someone to work hard and have no one to share it with. To work hard and have no one to pass that on to how sad that is. Instead, we want to be able to share what we're doing. And so it's sad that he works and works and works with by himself and has no one to share it with. Then we come to verse 9. Two are better than one because they have good reward for their toil. What is the reward? Someone to share it with. Do things recreationally with your husband. He's not wasting time. He's not being a big kid. I know it seems that way. He's actually interacting and building intimacy when he just wants to hang out and play a game. Number two, wisdom for women. Be your husband's biggest fan. Remember we're different. We're pink and blue. One of the things that makes him different than you, ladies, is he has a need 
to feel respected. I know you respect him, but he needs to feel that respect. Seems silly to you? I understand that. That's because you're not blue. We're different, not wrong. She needs to feel his love. He needs to feel her respect. It's an important difference. So ladies, be your husband's biggest fan. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Let me ask you something, ladies. If your friends only knew your husband by what you said about him, what would they think? For the past 20 years, 25 years, there's been a dangerous trend in our culture. When it really first got started, we called it man bashing or male bashing. Now we don't give it a name anymore because it's a part of what we do. It's just funny to make fun of men. It's just funny to belittle them. And what we don't realize is that's one of the worst things you can do, especially for your husband, because one of his greatest needs is respect, and what you're doing is actually completely opposite. Every time you belittle him or make fun of him or talk bad about guys in general. So our verse in Ephesians reminds us, use those words that will build up. Be your husband's biggest fan. Ephesians 5 and 33. Let each one of you love his wife as his self, as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. You see how Paul gave us two different instructions? Guys, love your wives. Why? Because her greatest need is to feel that love. Women, show respect to your husband. Why? Because his greatest need is to feel that respect. Paul even pointed it out in Ephesians 5 and 33. Wisdom for women. Do things recreationally with your husband. Be your husband's biggest fan. Number three, help provide a peaceful place. Help, as a team, help provide a peaceful place. Would you say that your home is stress-reducing or stress-producing? Proverbs 17 and 1. Better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. I'd rather be hungry in a place where we're not arguing and fighting and fussing than to have all the food I could eat but have to live in chaos. Help provide a peaceful place. Now I'm going to show you another Proverbs that I want you to understand. Solomon said this, not John. Proverbs 21.9, It is better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome woman. I'd rather live out on the roof than to live inside the house with a quarrelsome woman. 
Women, help provide a peaceful place. As far as it depends on you, try to create an environment that says to everyone in the home, the world may be crazy out there, but this is a place of peace and rest. Remember the first five rule or principle. The first five. What that means is at the end of the day, when you come home from whatever you do, he comes home from whatever he does. At the end of the day, you're seeing each other after a long day. It's the first, the first five minutes set the tone for the rest of the evening. If you walk in the back door and as soon as you see him, you say, your son got in trouble today in school. The plumbing is backed up in the bathroom and you forgot to take out the trash. Guess what your evening's going to be like? You can still address those things if you'll wait five, ten minutes. The first five minutes set the tone for the whole evening. Work at setting a peaceful, calming, stressless, is that a word? Place. In those first five minutes, you'll be amazed. My time is up. Let me share with you final thoughts before the praise team returns. Very quickly, final thoughts. Husband or wife, it is your job to love your mate. It's God's job to change them. It's not your job to change your mate. The more you try, the more you'll push them away. It's your job to love them. It's God's job to change them. Second, Every person is unique. Be an expert on your spouse. Know more about your wife than you know about hunting. Know more about your husband than you know about whatever takes up most of your time. Be an expert on your spouse. Know everything there is to know about your spouse. Learn, keep learning, don't ever stop learning. Number three, success in marriage does not depend on finding the right person. Let's get that clear. So many people in the, first, in the realistic years, those first 10, oh, I just found the wrong one. Success in marriage doesn't depend on finding the right person as much as it does on being the right person. When you, took, when you look at this outline, avoid the temptation to look at this outline and say to your spouse, see, I told you. Instead, look at the outline and then look in the mirror and say, is this, is this something I can learn? from biblical principles. It's not about finding the right person as much as it is about being the right person. If both of you go into it with that attitude of, I want to be the spouse that my spouse needs, you've got a lot better chance of success. Finally, the only person who can meet your deepest need is Jesus. Remember that? The only person. Your husband can't do this for you. 
Your wife can't do this for you. The only person who can meet your deepest needs is Jesus Christ. Without Him, we can do nothing.